Thank you, Pastor Bill, for making me sound older than I, I really am. But uh, it was Pastor Bill's birthday yesterday, so if you see him, um, guess his age, you know, 30-something. Um, uh, morning, everyone. My name is Hojin, and I am one of the pastors here, and I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, whether you were here in Boston or you went home and you came back, uh, we are so glad that you're with us um, this Sunday. Um, I have a question for you all. Uh, do you have any Debbie Downers uh, in your life? Uh, maybe you dealt with some of them this past weekend. Um, Debbie Downer is a term that became popular through a Saturday Night Live sketch where the character, Debbie Downer, speaks into every conversation topic with something that is negative. And in the sketch, uh, her, her family's at Disney World, and Debbie Downer consistently kills the excitement of her family members by saying something that kills the mood, and she would make that face in, at the camera, and you would hear a sad trombone. Wah, wah. Debbie Downers tend to be pessimistic. Uh, they tend to be really cynical. Uh, if you share a good thing or express excitement, they say something that fo focuses on the dark side of things and sucks the air out of a conversation. Do you know anyone like that? If you can't think of anybody, there's a small chance it's you. <laughs> um, I have to confess that I actually am totally a Debbie Downer. Uh, I don't show it or express it externally in my head, but I am always thinking about the worst case scenario. I am generally a, half, a glass half full type of person, which might be surprising uh, that I'm a Christian <laughs> first and that I'm a pastor. Um, but something that I realized uh, but never was able to put into words until this past week was that over the past 20 months, uh, more than I expected, I have actually become afraid to hope. Uh, it might be weird to hear a pastor say that, but uh, over the past 20 months, it, I've been afraid to hope. I have emotionally and mentally held my breath for so many different things, uh, so many difficult and dark things happening in our world, in our city, and even in, uh, in the, the lives of the people I know. Uh, and that's not to take away from all the good things that are happening in my life and all the many things that I am uh, extremely thankful for that I did uh, express gratitude to God this past uh, Thursday. But I can't help but to think, just like Pastor Bill prayed, uh, to think about the pandemic. And yes, there's an Omicron variant. I didn't think we would get to, you know, I learned the Greek alphabet in seminary. I didn't think we would get to that letter um, with covid the racial injustices in this country continue, uh, particularly through the verdicts um, of the Rittenhouse case and uh, the more accurately named McMichael uh, trial because Ahmad Arbery was not on trial. Uh, he was treated like he was on trial, but the McMichaels and uh, Brian were on trial. The opioid epidemic is on full display here in the tent city by Mass Ave and Milnea Cass Boulevard, which is only a couple miles from where we used to meet on Sunday mornings. Uh, people I know have stopped attending church, and other friends of mine have um, even decided that they no longer believe in Jesus, and that continues to weigh on my heart. Do you see? Uh, I'm a Debbie Downer. Um, 
But today, today's the first Sunday in Advent, which is the season in the church calendar that celebrates Jesus' first coming into the world and also anticipates when Jesus will come again. Advent is a reminder that God gives us hope even in dark and very complicated circumstances. Uh, and I know I have a lot of trouble with the juxtaposition of good and, and difficult things in my life, but Advent is a reminder that it doesn't phase God at all to see the difficult things alongside his very, very good promises. All over scripture, life and world events are put against God's promises. Uh, suffering and disappointment are not mutually exclusive in God's eyes. Uh, sin and failure, even sin and failure, failure does not cancel out God's grace and glory. And this was definitely the case when Jesus came 2,000 years ago. So if you are here today and you um, are experiencing pain, uh, disappointment, failure, or any sort of darkness, I hope you very much know that you do not have to act like everything is okay. The God I, God, the God I know in the Bible is able to hand whatever it is that is happening in your life that's weighing on your heart. The God I know in the Bible does not turn away anyone who comes to him earnestly and openly, even if it's the very first time you're doing that. The God I know in the Bible loves you. Even if you didn't walk into this theater today, he, he loves you. And because he loves you, uh, all of us here at Cornerstone, we welcome you. So I don't know about you all, but... I needed a word from God this past week, and I need a word from God, even as I share it with you all this morning. I need God's good news, news to pierce my heart and show me something beyond what I can see with my eyes and hear with my ears. So this morning, we want to look at Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 11, where God breaks in to the dark circumstances with his grace. God breaks in to dark circumstances with his grace. And before we read it, I just want to give a really short background on Isaiah. Isaiah is called to be God's messenger to, to, his, to God's people. And part of the message is bad news. It's judgment against those who display arrogance and, and evil towards God. And while it was supremely obvious that God's judgment was going to be against God's enemies, the enemies of Israel, it ended up that the judgment was also against Judah and Israel. Um, they didn't trust God in the ways that they were supposed to. And at the end of chapter 10, right before our passage today, the judgment that God levies out is portrayed as the chopping down of a forest of, of trees, which represented both the enemy, enemy nations as well as Israel. So with that in mind, let's uh, read our passage, Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 10. Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With just, justice he will give decisions for, for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. 
Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the, with the goat. The calf and the lion will, and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear and the young, their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all, on, on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's lift up a quick prayer before we continue. Uh, Father God, I just want to lift up uh, and pray the words from Ephesians 1 over my sisters and brothers here and even over myself. God, may you give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God so that our hearts, the eyes of our hearts be enlightened and we may know deeply the hope to which you have called us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this forest of trees has been cut down and a sprout, a bud, a sign of life will grow out of what appears to be dead, the chopped stump of the tree. And Isaiah 11.1 shows us that this isn't just any tree stump, it's the stump of Jesse. And if you don't know who Jesse is, he is the father of King David. It would have been nicer to say the stump of David, because then it would be supremely obvious. But I think God calls it the stump of Jesse on purpose, because the use of Jesse's name signifies that all that happens from this stump is grace. There was nothing special about King David's dad. Uh, Jesse, in fact, was completely oblivious when Samuel, the prophet, went to anoint the next king of Israel. When Samuel showed up to Jesse, Jesse offered up seven other sons before he thought his youngest son, David, could be king. Even in his father's eyes, David seemed like an unlikely candidate for the role of king of Israel, but not in God's eyes. There's so much grace that happens when Isaiah and God communicating through Isaiah says that a shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse. And if you have never seen a tree stump, uh, I came into like direct contact because once my wife and I, we moved into our home, um, something about the two trees in front of our house didn't look right. There were weird mushrooms growing on the roots. Uh, tree limbs were falling off whenever uh, even a mild storm with any type of wind came through. Um, and I called, uh, I, yeah, I called the city and I found out we have a tree warden uh, in Medford. And they came to assess the, the trees and they determined that they were diseased. So they needed to be cut down or else, you know, they could fall, damage houses, damage cars. And after seeing what the workers did to the trees, if someone told me that a healthy shoot, uh, something would sprout forth living from those stumps, I, I would have laughed at you. Those stumps were mushroom-producing stumps, not life-producing stumps. I would have wagered a lot of money to say that that would not happen. 
But here in Isaiah chapter 11, this stump of Jesse that has, had, had been chopped down in judgment by God, it appeared dead, but somehow, some way, through God, there is a sign of life. The shoot and branch in verse 1 points to an heir to the throne of King David. Specifically, it points to the Messiah, the promised king um, that was already described in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, which I believe uh, Pastor Bill might preach in a couple of weeks, where this Messiah is described as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This person is going to come out of what seemed to be dead, what seemed to be judged, what seemed to be done with. And uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Um, it's a word that actually means anointed one, meaning how kings were anointed with oil when they became enthroned to their, to their office, to their throne. So we don't have a lot of kings in this world, so it doesn't register to us. It doesn't impact us in the way that uh, in Isaiah's time to, to know that a king was coming. When, when we think about kings or when we look at the Bible, kings are the people who were God's chosen individuals to lead and protect his people. Kings had both authority and power. So when we say and even sing, like we sang just a few minutes ago, that Jesus is our king or King Jesus, we are saying that he is the leader and our protector of our lives. We are saying that he's the one who has authority and power in our lives. That's how we also say that he is Lord and Savior. This morning, I believe that God invites us to hope through Isaiah chapter 11 and hope in a different way. Uh, in the Bible, hope is nothing like how we use the word hope. We say things like, oh, I hope you have a great day, as if we were rolling dice or flipping a coin. But in the Bible, hope is expecting something certain from God. Hope is expecting something certain from God. In Romans 8, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 24 to 25, we read that now hope um, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees, right? Like, what's the point of hoping in something that you readily see in front of you? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That word wait, it implies looking forward with confidence. So we need to hope differently today because of Isaiah 11. And this particular portion of scripture, God is inviting us to look forward with confidence to the Messiah, to Jesus, who came once and he will come again. The promises in Isaiah chapter 11 were set in motion when Jesus first came over 2,000 years ago, and those same promises are going to be completely fulfilled when Jesus comes again. So this morning, my prayer for me and for all of you is that, that we would grow in our hope today, no matter our circumstances, because our perfect King, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, has come and will come again. And we're going to look at two particular reasons for that. Our perfect King has come and will come again, and two reasons for that. First, Jesus is fully qualified and equipped. In chapter 11, we see that Jesus is fully qualified, fully equipped to be King over us, king over the world, the king that the world desperately needs. In verses uh, 2 and 3, we read, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Holy Spirit will be clearly at work through this shoot from the stump of Jesse. 
This is not a temporary filling of the Holy Spirit. It is an obvious resting of the Holy Spirit on this particular individual, this king, and it will be manifestly known through his actions. Through the Holy Spirit, we read that the Messiah will display wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and most of all, fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is this reverent awe of who God is and and what he says and does. And in verse 3, we are told that he will delight in it. It's his motivation to be in awe of, of God, to know who he is, what he does, and that's why he does, why the Messiah does all that he does. This Holy Spirit filled and empowered individual, the Messiah, will have no other motivation in his life, in his um, existence, to, other than to find joy in who God is. He will not have any other ulterior motives, and this perfect king is qualified in all the necessary ways and equipped with all the necessary resources to lead any of God's people. And this might sound so vanilla or so plain to us, but when we think about the leaders we see in the world, the leaders we see in our lives, isn't that such a rare thing to not have somebody with ulterior motives? I don't know if you all have experienced uh, feeling unqualified or not properly equipped for a task or a role. Uh, maybe you've you know, felt like you didn't have the appropriate credentials or the skills to do something. Um, I know I have. And Pastor Bill, you know, he prayed and mentioned that I'm the, the longest serving pastor at Cornerstone. Um, over 10 years ago, that was the case for me. I felt very unqualified. I felt like I had to prove myself to others. And because of that, I overworked. It was clear. I obsessed over details. If anything fell out of place, I got very upset. I, at moments, acted like a tyrant. And there are actually a few of you who are still here, and I apologize for the way I led. Um, I've actually apologized to, to some of you directly. I was preoccupied with improving my skills as a teacher, preacher, um, as a counselor. I was overly affected by what other people thought of me. And, and because I, I didn't want to fail, I, I often played it safe. I saw what was working at you know, that church down the street or that church in another part of the country, and I just replicated it because I was... I was so insecure about being a pastor. Thankfully, I learned a lot of lessons, and through, the, through God's grace, I'm still learning a lot of lessons, often through making a lot of mistakes. And I have been able to free myself from viewing myself in that way. But even all of us, we know that it is hard to lead, to live in a way with complete wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, everything that is described of the Messiah here. Here, God tells us that Jesus will have this inner strength that comes from having the Holy Spirit resting upon him. It will be godly and perfect wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord that will define who Jesus is. And because Jesus is in sync with the the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the, the most secure person to have ever existed. Jesus was sure of his identity, 
before God, before others. He was able to navigate expectations that others had of him without ever violating what most honored and pleased God. You don't understand how difficult that is. Jesus loved and served others, even to the point of dying on the cross, but it was never, ever in a way that put God second in his life. He had compassion for others, and he never did anything to please anyone other than God. Even when he was tempted by Satan with fame and wealth and and power, Jesus stayed steadfast to his mission to make God known through his life, death, and resurrection. Because Jesus had nothing to prove to Satan. Sisters and brothers, we were created for a relationship with God, and through Jesus, we receive the type of qualified leadership, the, the, the type of protection that we cannot find anywhere else because this type of leadership, this type of protection is motivated by a love for God and a love for people. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is better than any king Israel could have ever had in its history. And Jesus is better than anything and anyone we can put our hope in and trust in today. So we can be confident of Jesus' kingship because he is fully qualified and fully equipped. Second, Jesus is our perfect king who, who has come and will come again. And he, he is the king we need because he is completely just and powerful. He is completely just and powerful. God promises that the Messiah will be completely just, faithful, and this is the type of king that I need today, and hopefully you'll see that he's the type of king that you need. In verses 3 and 4, we read that this Messiah, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Isn't this the type of word, the type of news that we need today? This Messiah will be so thoroughly just because he is able to see beyond what is visible to the eyes. He's able to hear beyond what is audible to to physical ears, like a human king might be limited to. This Messiah, through the Holy Spirit, all of the empowerment that the Holy Spirit gives him, will judge fairly with righteousness and justice, particularly to the needy, to the poor, who are often overlooked, who are often exploited by human kings. This Messiah will not need attorneys, juries, evidence, statements. He will not be biased. He will be only motivated by the fear of the Lord. The Messiah will have absolute crystal clear truth and absolute justice in his verdicts. You know, we definitely can celebrate the the verdict of the McMichael trial and all three of them will be sentenced soon. But complete justice would be something that we cannot do as human beings because Ahmad Arbery can never come back to this earth. This Messiah, not only will he be just, but he will be completely powerful to execute complete justice, perfect justice, by dealing with wickedness and evil. In verse 4, Isaiah continues, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. The rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips. For a king, his rod or staff was a sign of his authority. 
the authority to rule, the authority to um, set decrees, to execute justice. And the king described in this passage is different, though. The rod that this king will use is his mouth, is his words. John uh, Calvin, the, the great reformer, he states that when Isaiah says, the, with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked, it's as if God is saying that this coming king, he has no need to borrow assistance from neighboring countries, which was the sin of the kings of Isaiah's time. And that a mere breath from this king will be enough to bring the wicked down. When the Messiah, Jesus, came 2,000 years ago, he, you know, quote-unquote, commenced the, the launch sequence for his kingdom that would transform the world. When Jesus died on the cross, evil was definitively dealt with. The unfortunate side of that is that the effects of sin still exist. And we know this a little too well, don't we? What Jesus did 2,000 years ago was break the ruling power of sin over us. That has been taken care of. And then when Jesus comes again, and we pray that it's soon, very, very soon, Jesus is going to complete that work. There will be no wickedness, no evil, no effects of sin. It will be decisively dealt with by the Messiah. And in verses 6 to 9, we get a picture of what this reign of the Messiah, this anointed one, will look like. And it's, it's a little weird. Maybe you, you, you heard me read the animals, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? But in poetic language, we are given pairs of known predators existing with their prey. The wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the goat, the calf and the lion, cow and bear, these have no reason to exist in the same place without the predator attacking, devouring, killing their prey. But when the Messiah comes, there will be this new, new nature, new rule, new reign. There will be no danger or threat. These animals actually act differently than we know them to be. It's a weird thing, but the lion, the carnivore, is eating straw like an ox. That's how decisive things will be when Jesus comes again. Later or elsewhere in, in these verses, we see that children are able to lead these animals, to be around these animals and be completely safe. We see in verse 6, little child, that's um, literally small youth. It could be like a preteen leading these very ferocious animals, right, that, that, as, as far as we know. In verse 8, the word infant is actually a nursing child. And later, young child is a weaned child. That's a toddler. That's my daughter, Selah, going to a poisonous snake's home and sticking her hand in and not worrying. Me not worrying. Maybe she won't worry, but me not worrying that she will be bit. It's a situation of total peace that is opposite of what we see in the world. And whether you know, these things will happen literally or figuratively, I, I can't tell you. Only God knows that. But it is clear that the rule and reign of the Messiah will be unmistakable. When Jesus came in his first advent, he, was a, he announced that the kingdom of God was near. When Jesus comes again, 
the kingdom of God will be fully realized and experienced by his people and noticed by everyone. And more than the people of Isaiah's time, we actually have the proof of Jesus' first coming. Isaiah, Isaiah's contemporaries, they didn't have that. They, they didn't have Jesus um, at the time. But we can look back at Jesus who came again. And in so many ways, Jesus coming to this earth, living his perfect life, dying his, his undeserved death, and being raised back to life is proof positive. It's a down payment that everything else that God promises in Scripture will be the case. Our perfect king, our promised perfect king, will come back to finish what, we, what he started and bring about a redemption of all the broken experiences and realities that we know and may continue to know for however long that might be. Isaiah 11 calls us to hope in Jesus because he is fully qualified, fully equipped to be king, and he is also completely just and completely powerful in his reign, even when we live in the tension of what we experience today. Uh, theologian Russell Moore uh, wrote this actually eight years ago, uh, but when I came across it uh, this week, it still rang true today. In a time of obvious tragedy, the unbearable lightness of Christmas, and he's talking about kind of the, just the, like the, have a holly jolly Christmas, but like doesn't deal with any of the difficult things in life. The unbearable lightness of Christmas seems absurd to the watching world. But even in the best of times, we all know that we live in a groaning universe. Just as we sing about the joy with joy about the coming of the promised one, we ought also to sing with groaning that he is not back yet, Romans 8.23, sometimes with groanings too deep for lyrics. As we enter the last final weeks of this calendar year, we're going to celebrate Jesus' first coming on, on Christmas. It doesn't take a lot of time, a lot of reflection to recognize that there's real groaning in this world today. There's groaning of individuals, maybe even some of you here uh, facing suffering and grief that's unique to your lives. There's also a groaning of people groups, of segments of populations in our city, in our country, in the world that are experiencing darkness and oppression. The hope that the Bible talks about can handle all of that. We don't have to put on a brave face. We can wrestle with that tension of being in a world where we sin and we are sinned against, but knowing that a God, he is fully aware of that. He has a plan for it, and he is actually at work despite what we might be seeing with our eyes. These groans can find meaningful and real hope in Jesus Christ because passages like Isaiah 11 aren't just words on, 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 on paper. They're words that show us who God is, what God will do, why we must wait on him. This loving God who will send his most prized possession, his most prized individual, not just once, but also the second time to complete the task. God and his kingdom can be known and experienced today, and I know it is difficult to hope Please know that I have wrestled with hope a lot 
uh, these past 20 months. And we need to do that together. Please don't try to have hope alone. When we sing some of these songs about trusting Jesus, I know when, when we try to sing it alone, it's hard. But when we hear sisters and brothers start to lift that up, they're not, am I going to sing these words because I feel it or I agree with it or I believe it in this moment? It, it, there are prayers. There are encouragements from the people around us. Even when we sing it and we don't believe it, we can encourage a, a sister or brother next to us. Isaiah 11 shows us out of what appears to be dead, what appears to be inactivity of God, absence of God, he is at work. He is fulfilling his promises. We don't know when, we don't know exactly how, but Jesus is proof positive. He is our perfect king who will come again. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we submit ourselves to your word. We submit ourselves to Isaiah chapter 11. And we don't need to separate the difficult things in our lives personally, the difficult things in the world with what's being told to us here in this passage. They can coexist. And we pray that we would be reminded that you can handle all of that. You actually have a plan for all of that. We pray that your grace would show up this morning. Your grace would show up in our lives this upcoming week, the remainder of this calendar year as we head into 2022. We don't know exactly what will happen. There might be more difficulties and hardships ahead. If not for us, then definitely for other image bearers of God. And we pray that we would responsibly and appropriately come to you desperate for your voice to speak, desperate for your word to pierce our hearts, to, for your light to break through the darkness. We pray for a work that can only happen through you, Lord, through the Holy Spirit, through your son, Jesus. We pray that we'd be transformed by your word. We, we pray for things that we can't do on our own. So use this type of being together, use this time of even singing a couple of songs and, and praying and being with one another as an opportunity to exercise hope as a church family. Lord, be honored and glorified. Remind us of your perfect King Jesus. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.